Hello and welcome into another episode of Behind the Catch Fence. I'm your host, David Hoffman, coming to you live from the Man Cave here in Biglerville, Pennsylvania. I'll have to post a couple pictures on uh, my Instagram and Twitter page to show you guys exactly what the Man Cave is and how awesome this place is. I mean, anything outside of the Man Cave is absolute garbage. Biglerville, Pennsylvania, I'm not even going to talk about Biglerville in general. So before I begin, I'd like to give a quick shout out to No Copyright Music on YouTube. They're the ones creating the music that I'm playing, and it's obviously no copyright music, so it's free. I'd like to thank you guys for the music. With being a broke college student, I'm grateful for you guys. Go subscribe to them. No copyright music. Anyway, the 103rd running of the Indianapolis 500 was run yesterday, and it was, I have to say, it was a really fun and enjoyable race to watch. I'll have uh, my winners and losers of the week, and I'll also have, obviously, a standings overview. And I'll also be going through uh, some uh, breaking news in IndyCar with the new uh, cockpit protection. And uh, let's get right into it. Ooh, and before I forget, there is another segment that I will be introducing this week. And let's just say it's going to be a little hilarious. You know, I'll be calling out some uh, people on Twitter, but, you know, it's going to be a fun time overall. So let's get right into the Indianapolis 500. The Frenchman Simon Pagino for Team Penske started on pole for the Indy 500, and he led the field to the green flag and led the first opening laps. And then on lap six, the caution comes out with uh, rookie Colton Herta having a gear failure, and that would uh, shut down his engine, and his day would unfortunately be done, even despite a stellar fifth-place starting position. During green flag pit stops on lap 37, Elio Castroneves would run into the back of James Davison on pit road and setting both of those teams back early. However, James Davison would be able to rebound and finish 12th. Looking ahead then, on lap 69, some more green flag pit stops. Team Penske's Will Power and last year's defending Indy 500 champion, he would overshoot his pit and he'd run over the air gun and that would be costly and that would set him back for most of the race. Power, however, would rebound and finish fifth. A caution on lap 74, unfortunately, was for Uncos Racing's Kyle Kaiser. He would crash and he would get out into the marbles just a little bit and that would turn the car around into the wall, ending the roller coaster of a month of May. But they do have a lot to be proud of, I will say that. And they should not hold their heads low, and they should go forward, and I feel like they can continue to improve on, on their IndyCar program, and I think they can come back stronger and better than ever. And then on lap 138, a caution for Aero Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports rookie Marcus Eriksson from Sweden. He would lock it up and spin on pit road. And during that same sequence, Alexander Rossi for Andretti Autosport, his team would have trouble getting the fuel to plug into the car at the same time, but fortunately for them, the caution saved him from losing numerous spots on track. However, that would really piss off Alexander Rossi, and the last person I've realized that you do not piss off during your race is Alexander Rossi. The man is an absolute machine with the, when that helmet goes on, and the last person you want to be in the way of is Alexander Rossi. Moving ahead to lap 150, Joseph Newgarden for Team Penske would take over the lead temporarily from teammate Simon Pagano, but obviously that would be short-lived. And then... Moving ahead, on lap 178, chaos would ensue with Graham Rahal and Sebastian Bourdais as they would collide over a dispute of real estate on track, and they would collect Felix Rosenquist, Zach Veach, Charlie Kimball, and Scott Dixon. After flip-flopping for the lead in the closing lap, Simon Pagina would make the final pass for the lead with two laps to go, and he would go on to win his first ever Indianapolis 500, sweeping the month of May and notching Roger Penske his 18th Indy 500. And as we look at the results... Simon Pagano first, Alexander Rossi would come up just short for second, Takuma Sato third, Joseph Newgarden fourth, and Will Power, like I said earlier, 
with a 5th place finish, followed by Ed Carpenter 6th, rookie Santino Ferrucci 7th, Ryan Honore 8th, Tony Kanaan 9th, and Noblesville, Indiana native Connor Daly in 10th. I get a little shout out to James Hinchcliffe for Schmidt peterson Motorsports. Starting 32nd, he was able to methodically move his way up through the field and he ended up finishing 11th just outside the top 10, so that was a great day for for them and just a little rebound from the last couple of years here at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It's a great rebound for that team overall. The Indianapolis 500 this year was by far the best Indianapolis 500 in recent memory. It kept me on the edge of my seat and I was entertained the entire way through. The combination of strategy and pure speed was just beyond thrilling to me. And even though Simon Pagano dominated the majority of the race, we really didn't know what was going to happen or who was going to win until he crossed that yard of bricks for the final time. After Alexander Rossi had pit road trouble and he showed his displeasure with Oriol Servia on track a couple laps later, it gave the race even more intrigue. Every sport needs an athlete that's willing to push the limit in order to win and isn't afraid to piss people off in the process. IndyCar officially has a badass driver again, and his name is Alexander Rossi. I'm still baffled how Rossi straight up had one hand on the wheel going down the front stretch at over 220 miles per hour, mind you, and half of his other arm frantically shaking at Oriol Servia. With a storyline of Rossi basically bullying his way towards the front with, as Paul Tracy called it, horns growing out of his helmet, it brought a different dimension to the race than it has in the past. There wasn't a dull moment in the Indy 500. With most NASCAR races on the other hand, especially in last night's Coke 600, there's that point in the race where everybody is riding around, and it's basically follow the leader. And you get that tired feel that you get when you're bored. And honestly, the Indy 500 delivered constant, fast-paced, pure badass speed with tight competition, and that's all you could possibly ask for. Hats off to the NBC crew for, first off, having a great telecast. I mean, obviously, you're going to have a lot of commercials. I know there's a lot of comments on Twitter just... Oh, there's too many commercials. It was NBC, nothing but commercials, which is a good pun, though. I will give them that, but, I mean, you have to have commercials, and the broadcast team did a great job with, uh, you know, just presenting the race. Lee Diffie did an absolutely amazing job for his first Indianapolis 500 telecast. I love Paul Tracy and Townsend Bell in the booth. They give a lot of great inside analysts that only the driver's perspective would be able to understand and know, so that's great for them to have in the booth, and then then Mike Tirico, bringing in a guy like Mike Tirico, who's been in the broadcasting business for so long. Monday Night Football, NBC Sunday Night Football now. It's great to have him, you know, come in for, to have that big time broadcaster that everyone's like, oh wow, Mike Tirico's there. I am, you know, it must be pretty important. And I did see a lot of comments about Danica Patrick being a part of the telecast. Some people were complaining about it. I honestly felt like Danica Patrick was a natural on TV I mean, yeah, it's going to be a little rough for her real first time being on a longer telecast, but she took it in stride and she got better as the couple days went on that she was on air and props to her for, you know, continuing on. And I feel that she may have a good future in broadcasting. Who knows? In all honesty, NBC did an absolutely phenomenal job marketing for this race, marketing for IndyCar in general, because a couple months ago, They were marketing for IndyCar and the Indianapolis 500, which ABC and ESPN never did. The amount of advertisement and screen time that the Indy 500 got back in January, even for the Super Bowl as well, there is Indianapolis 500 commercial. Absolutely amazing job, and it's going to continue to get IndyCar more popularity, and they're going to continue to gain more fans. 
And uh, thanks to NBC for doing an, an outstanding job all month long for coverage. And I'm obviously not talking good about them, hoping I can get a job with them anytime in the near future. <laughs> wink, wink. But anyway, let's move on to winners and losers of the week. It's everybody's favorite part of the entire show. It's probably why most of you even listen. Just to hear my great sound effects that I happen to find. That are free, by the way, so don't sue me. Let's first off start with our winners of the week. Let's start with honorable mentions. Pippa Mann for Clawson Marshall Racing, who finished 16th in the Indianapolis 500. Overall, it was an outstanding run for Pippa, and she kept her nose clean all day. Didn't make any mistakes, and she was able to get a top 20 finish out of it, so... That's great for that young team, and that's great for her confidence level overall. Next on the honorable mentions list, Connor Daly for Andretti Autosport, who finished 10th in the Indianapolis 500. With Daly only running a one-off race with Andretti Autosport, a great showing for him was crucial as he continues his search for a full-time ride in IndyCar. Daly did exactly that, keeping his nose clean the entire month, showing great speed as well. After qualifying 11th, Daly ran in the top 10 for the majority of the race, and running as high as 3rd. Connor no doubt deserves a full-time ride, and he proved that with a great team like Andretti Autosport, he can compete and be a threat. Moving on to our top three, number three is Takuma Sato for Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing. A pit road penalty on lap 81 put Sato second to last and a lap down, but he and the team didn't give up, and they put their heads down and kept grinding. With cautions falling their way, Sato and the Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan team found themselves up to seventh after the Bourdais-Ray Hall incident. On the last restart, Sato would make it as exciting as he only he could, making his daredevil moves around New Garden Carpenter in the closing laps, and just coming up short for a second Indy 500 win, finishing third. And as Takuma Sato loves to say, and it's his motto, no attack, no chance. That is a great life motto in general, I feel as well. Moving on to number two is Santino Ferrucci, the rookie for Dale Coyne Racing. Ferrucci was fast all month long, and I honestly had a sneaky feeling he'd be a dark horse come Sunday. He ran top 15 all race long, and when he attracted the attention of Dale Earnhardt Jr. during the broadcast for avoiding that Ray Hall-Bourdais collision, you know you're doing something right. Ferrucci would end up 7th, easily locking up Indy 500 Rookie of the Year. And this may be a no-brainer for number 1, but drumroll please anyway. Simon Pagano for Team Penske is our number 1 winner of the week. I mean, this is a no-brainer. With whispers of Pagano losing his job at Team Penske after the season, Pagano swept the month of May, winning the Grand Prix of Indianapolis, winning the pole for the Indianapolis 500, and then yesterday winning the greatest spectacle in racing. Even with a pissed-off Alexander Rossi behind him, Pagano was calm, cool, and collected. Pagano said that he was still trying to figure out the new arrow kit earlier in the season, but now it's safe to say he's got it all figured out. Oh no, it is time for losers of the week. Number three loser of the week has to be Colton Herta, the rookie for Harding Steinbrenner Racing. Herta was strong the entire month of May, and after an outstanding qualifying effort of fifth, which was the highest for any Honda on the field, there was a lot of buzz that he could potentially be a threat on Sunday. Unfortunately, a gearbox failure would end his chances on lap five. It was a rare failure that the car simply didn't want to change gears. Herta said after the incident, once I went down to 4th gear and back up to 5th a few times, it completely depleted, and there is nothing left, so the engine just died. That's such an unfortunate event for young Colton Herta, who, at 19 years old, has such a bright young career. We all had that sneaky feeling that Colton Herta could possibly make some noise in this Indianapolis 500. And like we've heard before from other drivers, the track picks the winner, and young Colton Herta was definitely not 
the chosen one for the Indianapolis 500 this time around, but I have no doubt Herta will be an Indianapolis 500 champion before we know it. And plus, with him only being 19 years old, if he does win the Indianapolis 500 within the next two years, he can still call himself the youngest Indy 500 winner ever. So no fret, Colton Herta fans. You guys are in a good spot, and he's going to continue to learn. He's only going to get better as the season goes on. Uh, number two loser of the week. Unfortunately, this is the second straight week this driver has been on the loser's side of things, but number two is Elio Castroneves for Team Penske. Castroneves, he's honestly been fairly quiet for the majority of the month, but there is still plenty of optimism that he'd be a contender on Sunday. Early on in the 500, Elio found himself solidly in the top 10, but then a penalty on pit road for avoidable contact with James Davison knocked Castroneves down a lap and he would never be able to recover. His opportunity to join the elite club of AJ Foy, Al Unser, and Rick Mears as four-time Indy 500 winners will have to wait yet another year. Uh, number one. Man, this is so tough. I hate to do this to him, but the number one loser of the week is Marco Andretti for Andretti Autosport. Andretti has always been under pressure to perform because of his last name, but on Sunday there was even more added pressure. With it being the 50th anniversary of Mario Andretti's Indy 500 win, as well as running the same livery from that race. Andretti was fast all month long, and a 10th place qualifying effort had a lot of fans buzzing about the thought of Marco winning the Indy 500. However, as soon as the green flag dropped, Andretti also dropped. He quickly found himself a lap down within the first 50 laps of the race, and he ended up finishing a dismal 26th, 5 laps down. Andretti said after the race that it was the worst race of his career. Andretti and the team weren't quite sure why the car ran so poorly, and he said they were behind from the start. Honestly, it was an absolutely garbage race for Andretti, and it was disappointing to watch. From the drop of the green flag, the car was straight up awful, and he was 20th when the first caution came out on lap 6. There was so much hype leading up for Andretti, and the team failed so miserably. I'll be honest, if Marco didn't have an ownership stake in his Andretti Herta Autosport entry, he'd be gone after this season. It makes me question how many more seasons Andretti is going to race. His entire career has been living in the shadows of his father Michael Andretti and grandfather Mario Andretti. It's definitely no easy task to live up to those two. Since his last win in 2011, he's just been mediocre at best. It makes me go back to his rookie season in 2006. It has to be one of the biggest what-if moments in IndyCar history. What if Marco Andretti would have held off Sam Hornis Jr. and won the Indianapolis 500 in 2006? How would his career have been different if he wins the Indy 500? I hope to see him in victory lane again, but the way he's been performing the last couple years, I don't know if it'll ever happen again. And now moving on, as we look at the IndyCar standings to this point, Simon Pagano is your leader in the NTT IndyCar Series standings right now with a one-point lead over Joseph Newgarden, and followed by Alexander Rossi in third, Takuma Sato and Scott Dixon tied for fourth in points. Will Power follows them in sixth in points, Ryan Hunter seventh, James Hinchcliffe eighth, Spencer Piggott ninth, and rookie Santino Ferrucci in tenth. As you look outside of the top ten, Sebastian Bourdais is right outside in eleventh, followed by Graham Rahal in twelfth, Jack Harvey and Ed Jones are tied for thirteenth, Felix Rosenquist fifteenth, Tony Kanon sixteenth, Colton Herta is also tied with Kanon for 16th. Mateus laced 18th in points. And then Marco Andretti dismally in 19th, followed by his teammate Zach Veach in 20th. And when you look at the standings, I'm telling you, Takuma Sato, is, he's been a sleeper the entire season so far. 
with that win in Barber in Alabama, he's just solidly, he's been quiet, you know. Sato, I mean, he's currently tied with Scott Dixon in points, and if Sato can, you know, get on a roll, crank off some top fives, get a win here, I mean, even a win in Portland like he did last year, if he could win another race, I feel like Takuma Sato might be able to be a threat to the top three with Simon Paginot, New Garden, and Alexander Rossi. There's definitely a lot of IndyCar races left in the season, and who knows, even after Detroit, we could be looking at an entirely different top five after after the duel in Detroit. So it'll be very interesting to see how the standings shake out after Detroit. An interesting stat I did see was that 25% of IndyCar's points are handed out between the Indianapolis Grand Prix, the Indianapolis 500, and then the two races for the duel in Detroit. So those four races are probably the make or break of your season overall. So right now, Simon Pagano is sitting pretty, so it'll be interesting to see if Pagano can continue his reign in the duel in Detroit then. Ah, it's time for some IndyCar news. The latest news, IndyCar revealed a plan for cockpit protection innovation on Friday. IndyCar formed a partnership with Red Bull Advanced Technologies to design an aero screen to enhance driver protection, and it will be implemented for the 2020 NTT IndyCar season. Its main purpose is to reduce the risk for driver injuries from flying debris or other objects striking the cockpit. From a fan's perspective, I love the sleek design of the aero screen. It doesn't look hideous like Formula 1 did with the halo design, and it doesn't appear that it impedes the driver's vision either. From a safety perspective, it's fantastic. A big problem over the past couple years has been debris flying and hitting drivers on the helmet. Unfortunately, one of those times cost Justin Wilson his life at Pocono in 2015. The aero screen will prevent any of those head injuries or more serious injuries, so hats off to IndyCar for addressing that issue. All around, I feel that IndyCar did a great job of making the cars safer, as well as keeping the cars from not sticking out like a sore thumb like Formula One did. The thing that stood out to me the most was that IndyCar president Jay Fry sought out the input from Dario Franchitti, Rick Mears, and Mario Andretti to get their opinions on the new aero screen. Franchitti stated, First of all, I think it's a great addition to the safety of the current IndyCar. I say that as someone who has strapped themselves in for a long time into an IndyCar and someone who lost three good friends to injuries that might have been prevented. Safety moves on. That's the thing. I've certainly benefited from it a lot. Advances as well as the safer barrier, the Hans device, better helmet technology, accelerometers in the ears, there's been this ongoing seat technology. There's constant developments. It's going to take a little bit for fans to get used to, I feel, but I'm sure the majority of fans will be on board with it within the first couple races of next season. The aero screen has been well accepted around the paddock, and the drivers have been huge supporters of it. So for me, it comes down to if the drivers are on board with it, and they obviously are. So with that, I'm all for it. Alright guys, now it is time for my new segment that I found inspiration from scrolling through Twitter comment sections, which in 2019 is the last thing you ever want to do. And it sparked a new weekly segment that I'll introduce this week. I unfortunately went through the comment section on IndyCar's Twitter post about the new aero screen, so I'll read some of the most ridiculous ones. This segment can now officially be called, Shut Your Fuel Cell. It'll be the dumbest Twitter comments of the week. So it'll be a little bit of entertainment for you guys. Alright, let's move on to the first one. I'm not going to name any names, so I'll just make up names on the fly. Uh, Let's call this person... Tim. There we go. Tim replying to the IndyCar post about the new aero screen. I'm going to read this exactly, so it may sound dumb, but it's for a reason. Better than the Halo, but still stupidest. He spelled stupidest. S-T-U-I-P-E-D. The two Ds. That's interesting. 
better than the Halo, but still stupidest. It's still got a gap stuff can hit the helmet. If you were really worried about the safety, there would be closed cockpit. Either do it properly or not at all. Okay, first off, Tim. Uh, learn how to spell. Go back to school. You know, get a degree or something. Second off, I understand where you're coming from. But, you know, you don't question IndyCar. They know what they're doing overall. They did an outstanding job on the new error screen, so I won't worry about it, period. The one thing I am questioning about your comment is, what gap stuff can hit the helmet? I mean, unless you're talking about, like, the top of, you know, the top of the helmet, the top where it's not really covered, you're not going to have to worry about that unless the car actually flips into the catch fence, which that'll, I think that'll be an interesting question to see that a lot of people will be questioning is, how does that new aero screen hold up against, you know, a catch fence at like 200 miles per hour? Hopefully we never have to see what the new aero screen has versus a catch fence, but if it does, it'll be interesting to see how that holds up overall. Anyway, let's move on to our next one. Uh, this is also, this is a person, I'll call him Scotty. Scotty says, can't wait to see the ladder system the drivers will need to get in and out. I'm sure the safety teams are going to love it for driver extraction. Not. Ah, uh, Scotty brings up a good point. That's a good joke. <laughs> ladder system. That is a good point. I mean, I feel like it'll be the same as, you know, the Formula One. How they get out of the car, they just put their hands on top of the halo and they're out. Bam, easy as that. It is a good question with the driver extraction. How how the safety teams will be able to get out, get the drivers out. But, I mean, I'm sure IndyCar has addressed that. And I'm sure that'll come to fruition here in 2020. Ah, here's another question. So let's call him Nolan. Nolan said, how does the driver get out when it's upside down? Well, if they're completely upside down, they're not going to be able to get out first off. But up, I mean, why would you want to get out of the car when it's upside down in midair, if that's what you're really questioning? I mean, I understand where you're coming from, Nolan, but, but how the driver gets out when it's upside down, I wouldn't really worry about that. Ah, next question. Well, this isn't even a question. Let's call this person Little Johnny. Little Johnny said, after that, I will stop watching IndyCar. You're seriously going to stop watching IndyCar for the, just because they improve safety? Really? Come on, man. Who really stops watching a sport because they improve safety? The car doesn't even look bad, even with the aero screen on it. It's going to improve safety, and that's all I can ask for. I want to see my drivers as healthy as possible, and I want to continue to see them every single year, so... If it helps with driver safety and it still looks pretty good, I don't care. So little Johnny needs to just, you know, go back in this corner and shut up. Well, here's a full-on thread between, let's see, hmm, what can I name these guys? Bobby and Patrice. Bobby said, bad idea. Patrice replied, you're right, driver safety is so overrated. All right, I'm going to stop you right there, Patrice. What are you talking about? Driver safety is so overrated. What do you, what? Whoever says driver safety is so overrated? That's the dumbest thing I have ever seen in my life. Well, closest thing. Maybe second best. But come on, man. Who says driver safety is overrated? Nobody. I mean, we're trying to keep our drivers as safe as possible here. At IndyCar, it's the most dangerous sport on the planet right now. And the last thing you want to do is continue to have injuries and you know, potentially life-threatening injuries like with Robert Wickens last year at Pocono. Do you really want that to happen again? There's no freaking way driver safety is overrated, and that's just a dumb comment overall. Now let's move on to the next stupid comment of the week. I'm moving on to another comment. Oh, this is about Simon Pagina winning the Indianapolis 500. This person, we'll call him Roger, said, 
Guess I won't bother wasting my money to go to the 500 next year. BS win. First off, how is it a BS win? Pagano drove his butt off the entire race, had to fight off a pissed off Alexander Rossi to win. I don't understand where you're coming from when it says BS win. I don't understand when you say, guess I won't bother wasting my money to go to the 500 next year. You're seriously not going to go to the Indy 500 just because Simon Pagano won? That's just plain stupid. I mean, just keep your money, bro. Don't bother. The IndyCar doesn't need you if you're really going to say that kind of crap and just say, Oh, I'm not going to bother because Simon Pagano won the Indy 500. That's just stupid. Oh, here we go. Here's some good ones. This person, I'll call him Jack. This person named Jack probably has never even watched an Indy 500, and he's only in the comment section to piss off a lot of fans. But Jack said, admit it, the only reason this is thrilling is because we are all waiting for a crash. Disgusting. And we call this entertainment in America. Um, no. If you're seriously watching the Indianapolis 500, it's because of the prestige and just the absolutely amazing racing overall. So you can go home and, and throw that tweet away while you're at it. Uh, and here's another one from Jack. Taking lots of left turns with wasteful machines is the top trending topic? Our society just may be completely F-bomb. Wasteful machines? Oh boy, here we go. Are we seriously going to go down the stupid, the stupid, oh, it's bad for the environment, blah, blah, blah. Does it really ruin the environment and IndyCar? No, it doesn't. So just shut up and go back to your corner. Throw away this tweet while you're at it. I mean, come on, just leave us IndyCar fans alone. Oh, here's another comment. Here's an interesting one about NBC. I'll call this lady Patricia. At IndyCar on NBC sucks. Way too many commercials and BS talk. Spent most of the race watching on half a screen. At least we got to watch the finish uninterrupted. Put it back on at ABC and please, no Danica. She spelled please P-L-E-A-S. No E on the end, by the way. IndyCar on NBC did not suck. Come on. It was, I mean, there's going to be some quirks. No broadcast is ever going to be perfect. Yes, they have to have commercials. I'm sorry, but yes, you're going to have commercials and... I'm just glad that they had the split screen with commercials on one side and, and the race on the other side. We didn't miss a moment of the action for most of the race. I mean, yeah, you're going to hear the commercials, but the broadcasters, they're going to need a, you know, a minute or two break. That's just life. And I'm just glad that they were able to show the majority of the race on the split screen when they did go to commercial. And there's, you know, and addressing the Danica Patrick thing again. She did a great job. Yeah, she's not going to be perfect. It's her first real time being on tv for a long period of time analyzing indycar she's only going to get better and if she wants to make a career out of this i have full faith that she'll be able to do that bs talk what do you mean bs talk i don't understand that at all but i mean unless i mean i know a couple people were saying that townsend bell and paul tracy were severely favoring american drivers well what's the what are the people when like addressing that who are the majority of people watching the indianapolis 500 Americans. So what do you want to talk about? Yeah, this young American. Like Alexander Rossi being pissed off. Yeah, I want to talk about that. That's going to intrigue a lot of Americans. And it has nothing to do with, uh, you know, trying to shun other countries and other people from a different country. It has nothing to do with that. You know, the demographic is Americans. And they want to hear about who this young driver is. Whether it's Alexander Rossi, Colton Herta, or even a Graham Ray Hall. Santino Ferrucci as well. Or Connor Daly. People are going to be intrigued by a young American that's in a startup series and they might get them intrigued and might bring them back for another race. We're all for that and it has nothing to do with, oh, they're just trying to 
shun away other countries. So it has nothing to do with that. Oh boy, here's a good one from, uh, I'll call him Dan the Man. Dan the Man just straight up said, F. Lee Diffie. Man, what did Lee Diffie ever do to you? Lee Diffie is a stand-up guy. Lee Diffie does an outstanding job on air. Great professional from Australia. I mean, there's nothing wrong with his broadcast, the way he does a race, and I love the way he goes about his business on air. Nothing but a professional, and I have no complaints about Lee Diffie in general. He knows his stuff, so lay off of Lee Diffie. Now, here's my favorite one of the week. This was to uh, the IndyCar weatherman on Twitter. Shout out to the IndyCar weatherman, by the way, at IndyCar underscore WXman. So make sure to follow him. He gives the best IndyCar weather information. He does a lot of studying with that, and he's a great meteorologist overall. But Eddie Gossage, the Texas Motor Speedway president, tweeted out to uh, the IndyCar weatherman, By the way, Mr. Weatherman, despite your dire predictions in Indy, it was a beautiful, sunny day. I think you guys love to predict rain, even if the chances are slight. It cost IMS millions and cost lots of folks amazing memories because they listened to your forecast. Hashtag, come on, man. Now, I'd like to say, Eddie Gossage, which I will be going to the Texas Motor Speedway race here in a, in a two weeks, actually. Come on, Eddie Gossage. Come on. Well, I mean, yeah, obviously, the you know, all the meteorologists are trying to predict rain so they can get more money. You know, they're trying to, you know, lie to us. No, they're trying to give solid information. And as they're studying the tracker and all their, you know, all their, te- all the technology that they use, they're not trying to, you know, stop people from going to a race. The weather looked terrible even going into Sunday, and we simply weren't sure if we, it was going to be a hit or miss shower or if we're going to get hail rained on at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So it has nothing to do with costing IMS millions. No, do you, did you really watch the race, Eddie Gossage? Because I'm pretty sure it was jam-packed. I mean, look at the snake pit first off. That place is an absolutely monsoon of people. And the stands were completely jam-packed, so it did not cost IMS millions of dollars. It's an invalid uh, tweet, and he just needs to chill and focus on his racetrack himself. So that about wraps it up for our first ever segment of Shut Your Fuel Cell, dumbest Twitter comments of the week. But before I do go, there is something interesting that Adam Stern on Twitter, the motorsports reporter of Sports Business Journal, Adam Stern tweeted out on Sunday morning, IndyCar is hosting five OEMs not currently in the series this weekend for the Indy 500 as the hunt goes on to land a third one. And also, IndyCar had been in deep talks with Porsche a few months ago, but it's unclear whether the German brand still remains a realistic possibility. This is potentially huge for IndyCar because they've desperately needed a third manufacturer to come into IndyCar. I mean, any brand would be great to come back into the series. Any manufacturer that comes into IndyCar, they're going to be well-respected and well-received overall, so it's a win-win for any manufacturer because it's a startup series that's continuing to be on the rise, and for IndyCar, they need more stability, and they need more manufacturers to come into the sport, so I think we might hear something within the next couple months about a potential manufacturer like a Porsche, so that'll be very interesting to keep your eyes on here soon. And looking ahead to this upcoming weekend, the NTT IndyCar Series travels to Belle Isle for the duel in Detroit, and with it being the only doubleheader weekend on the schedule, points are at a premium. Can Simon Pagano continue on his tear, or will Alexander Rossi get his revenge? Only time will tell. I'll have an episode on Monday after the duel in Detroit, so make sure to look for that on iTunes and YouTube. Before I go, make sure to follow this podcast on Twitter, at Behind Catch. 
and Instagram at behind underscore the underscore catch underscore fence. Man, that's a tongue twister. That is a lot. I should probably figure out how to get that Instagram handle down so it's dummy down for people like me that can't really read that much. But anyway, thanks for listening. I'll catch you guys later.